Welcome to the Apple Insider Podcast. This is your host, Stephen Robles, and today we're going even deeper from the announcements at the Scary Fast event M3 to M3 Max benchmarks. Bye-bye, Touch Bar. We'll talk about how Scary Fast was entirely filmed on iPhone with an asterisk. The journal app in iOS 17.2. Sponsors for today are Babbel and Masterclass. And joining me once again is my friend, Wes. How's it going, Wes? Just fine, Stephen. I just hope William finds the tea he needs. He had to run very quickly to the store. <laughs> to find it so i had to step in at the last minute that's yeah. right that is right william will be back and very soon and he is getting tea i think that's the official story that's the party line uh, for the apple insider is he's, <laughs> he's getting tea right now so we have to talk about more of the scary fast event of course there was a recap podcast that i did right after the event which felt like i did it at midnight it was like 9 p.m but it was like five minutes under five minutes i think it's four and a half minutes for all the announcements and apple did in fact announce the m3 family of chips in the MacBook Pro and now an M2, or no, I keep saying M2, and now the M3. It's a hard habit to unlearn. Oh my there, goodness. There's, there's too many numbers. And I know it's a tired joke at this point, but it was a scary fast event. It went by, it went by very, very fast. It was a yeah. 30 minute event front to back. So let's get into, <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. It did feel late. Uh, real quick before we jump into it, don't forget, check out HomeKit Insider. Every Monday, Andrew O'Hara and I talk about smart home and HomeKit devices. The links are in the show notes. You can subscribe there and at youtube.com slash HomeKit Insider. And check out the Apple Insider Daily Show Monday through Friday, top Apple headlines in just a few minutes. So the big news, the hardware, aside from the chip, has is remained fairly unchanged from the 14 and 16 inch MacBook Pro, although we did lose the 13 inch MacBook Pro, which we'll get to in a second when we say goodbye to the touch bar. We have the 14 and 16 inch MacBook Pro and then the iMac, literally nothing changed except for it went from M1 to M3. And that's about it. Yeah, nothing changed. Not even the colors. Not even yeah, new same colors. colors. <laughs> same exact colors, same pricing. And, you know, if it's selling popular computer for what it does, just put the new chip in there. I guess I understand. But the more exciting part is the M3 benchmarks and speeds. Johnny Saruji saying, welcome to my lab. I kind of wish he said it a little more Dracula-like in the event. I feel like it would have been. I think he leaned into his accent, though, just a little bit. Yeah, yeah. he did. And so he announced these new chips with lots of terms that I'm not really familiar with, but I know are a big deal, I think. I mean, we heard ray tracing with the A17 Pro chip in the iPhone 15 Pro. We have dynamic caching and mesh shading, which, you know, we had talked about and you mentioned specifically that maybe this event was going to be geared towards gaming. And while we didn't hear about a lot of specific games in the event, it did seem like they were really talking about the GPU improvements of these chips. Obviously, the three nanometer process is a huge deal. First time we have Mac chips with three nanometer. But the whole ray tracing, mesh shading and dynamic caching is really geared towards that GPU performance and it felt like they even had this section of the event where they talked about m3 versus m3 pro versus m3 max and they were like if you're a musician or a student the m3 is great for you and if you edit video and do like lots of tracks and logic pro 10 the m3 pro is great for you and if you are a 3d animator or you're doing intense research like medical research then the m3 max is for you and i was like you know, maybe I don't do 3D animation, but I, I like the I like the Max chips. Can I get a Max chip too? <laughs> and uh, Marco Armand said the same thing. He's like, I edit four tracks in Logic Pro 10, and I'm getting the M3 Max. Can't stop me. So put the M3 Max in an iPad. Oh my! Uh, no, it'd get a little hot. It'd get a little hot. Uh, it would. It would be a little warm. It'd be a little warm. It, the iPad would have to be as thick as like a 
a loaf of bread or something or like, the macbook pro is pretty thin i mean uh you know so it fits in there active cooling i suppose but right. that hurts me a little bit putting fans no in no you don't want to do that the m3 family of chips they have very specific features like you said leaning towards the gpu and they, and these features are useful for using those like 3d creation apps and stuff like that right. building building video games and stuff on a mac hardware accelerated uh mesh mapping and hardware accelerated ray tracing both add up to you're going to have really realistic looking textures in a video game and really realistic looking lighting in a game both of those things are very gpu intensive and to have specific components on the chip that handle these things is a very big deal right because now less of the overhead is being spent on those high calculated like items and more of it can be spent on actually running the game at a decent frame rate not only are games going to be able to run smoother and faster but they're going to look better lighting and texture wise as well things like running uh even running windows on your mac should work a lot better like it'll be interesting to see what happens with that technology but again all of these are part of the m3 series and uh, i'm looking forward to see how developers take advantage for sure so when it comes to benchmarks and actual speed we do have some leaked geek bench numbers and it's pretty wild especially with the m3 max chip just to give you an idea looking at the m3 just the first chip in the m3 family it scored just over 3000 for a single core and 11,694 for multi-core compare that to the m3 max and you get 2971 for single core which is a little less than the m3 that's usually what happens with more performant chips but the but the multi-core score is 20,785, so a full two times faster than the M3. And the most interesting part is when you compare that to the M2 Ultra in the Mac Studio, which is the fastest chip you can get in the Mac Studio today as we record, that chip scores lower in single cores, 2,692, and just slightly higher, just over 21,000. But it really seems like the M3 Max and M2 Ultra would be very much on par in like just day-to-day performance. Those two chips would perform very similarly. Movie makers, game developers, stuff like that. They just always need the top-of-line chipset. So they're always out there buying whatever's new on the market that's going to give them the best performance because it it they, it pays for itself almost immediately. I would hate to be those people right now because you just got destroyed. Mm. <laughs> but like uh, like you you have to go and get an M2 Ultra Mac Studio for thousands of dollars to get this performance just 3 months ago to turn around and hear about this new chipset and a laptop that you can carry with you uh mini LED backlit display and ProMotion for uh, again a few grand but you're getting even as much performance plus all these new chipset features we were talking about before on top of uh, now 128 gigs of RAM and a laptop, just wow, like huge, like a huge leap in just a few months. And, and I'm interested in what the M3 Ultra is going to look like. For sure. Yeah. And the M3 Ultra, again, everyone was saying, oh, I wish we had the M3 Ultra at the same time. Of course, it's going to come later. I imagine we just got the M2 Ultra Mac Studio and Mac Pro at WWDC a few months ago. I imagine if they stayed to the cycle, which this was also one of the weird things about the rumors where it felt like the M2 Pro and M2 Max MacBook Pro came out last January, so 10 months ago. Like, it seems very quick to have a refresh. And many brought up the point that those M2 Pro and M2 Max chips were likely delayed and should have been released in the previous year, November 2022. And so that would make it a basically a two-year cycle 
from the M1 to the M2, and then it would be a year from the M2 to M3. And if this is a regular cycle, then maybe we get updated MacBook Pros in the fall and updated Pro machines like the Mac Studio, Mac Pro, maybe the Mac Mini as well at WWDC or around that time period every year. Rewind the last week and recall that I was just confounded by the concept of releasing three chips at the same time after a 17 pro supposedly soaked up the entire three nanometer process pipeline not only did apple do that but they released three distinct chipsets uh right. they apparently these are not just interconnected m3s so you, you know m3 is one m3 pro is two m3s and m3 max is four m3s that's not what they did this time like m3 pro has six efficiency cores which is the only one that has six versus M3 and M3 Max has four efficiency cores. So there's something wacky going on here in the first place. So three distinct chipsets, A17 Pro, all in three nanometer. Yes, they're probably slightly different processes. I'm not going to get into. It's interesting that Apple was able to make this happen in the first place, release it in new hardware. Yes, they didn't really change the hardware externally too much. Uh, We'll get into that in a minute. Space Black's coming. If this is a result of, again, the staggered timelines uh, due to COVID and economic conditions and the issues in China last year that caused a a big kerfuffle with developing like iPhone production and all of that, like everything kind of just slid forward. And I feel for anyone who bought those MacBooks in January and they're eyeballing this and saying, man, I could really use dynamic caching. What do I do? I don't know. What do you think? Trade it in. Trade it in. <laughs> I, was, Trade I, was it look, in. <laughs> I was looking, honestly, you know, I have a 14-inch M1 Pro MacBook Pro. I didn't really spec it up a lot when I got it. It's like 16 gigs of unified memory. It does have a one terabyte SSD. But right now, Apple was going to offer me about $1,000 on a trade-in. So if you have an M2 mm. Pro or M2 Max, I imagine you would get over $1,000 for a trade-in. You'd probably get even more if you sold it on your own on third parties, Facebook Marketplace, or whatever. You should probably sell it, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and you, you would get more for that. I just The Apple trade-in is just so much less of a headache in dealing with it and all that. It, it, yeah, if you have the money for it and you're itching for that new computer, the trade-in system is much easier. But yeah, like, yeah. I mean, I have the M1 Max MacBook Pro from a few years ago, and I'm considering ditching it for an M3 processor at some point, but I'm thinking Mac Mini, not uh, anything. I don't really need a fully-fledged crazy Mac. Yeah. I, even then, I could probably still get like $1,400 out of this thing. Like, there's All no right. reason why I shouldn't just sell it to somebody. I'm most curious why the Mac Mini wasn't a part of this presentation because the Mac mini only has the M2 and M2 Pro as options. And so why it wasn't included in this event to just say, and the Mac mini gets the M3 and M3 Pro, I find that to be a little interesting. If I, if I had to if I had to pick a timeline that makes sense, and maybe it'll just never make sense. Maybe it'll always be topsy-turvy and they'll just randomly release chips and it won't be on any real time. It went from two years to, what, 18 months? Right. Uh, and now we have three chips at the same time. Like, it just feels like it's all random so far. Like, we don't have a pattern to pull from. But if I if I had to pick a pattern, I would say, look at the iPad Pro and maybe maybe we're on an 18-month product cycle right. with these chipsets. And, that, and that, that would be fine. It's just, you know iPhone is one product iterating on the chip every single year. So it's a a 17, a 18, a 19 fine because you're releasing a new phone every year. Uh, it's one piece of hardware that you're iterating upon. It's, you know, you, you, your component costs and everything like you have that so whittled down that it's just this perfect machine that Apple's built for building iPhones. Yeah. But with Mac, it's totally different. We're talking about like six different products with different, with a dozen different SKUs across them with multiple GPU, like comp, like, or, uh, 
different RAM combinations and storage combinations. Right. Like it's just this huge difference in the two. But for the people, like, like I mentioned before, for the people who really care about this, I wonder how this changes buying decisions for people who kind of buy a Mac every single time. And I know that's not everyone, but it's often. This I think this is why Apple often in the event and to some consternation of viewers kept comparing the M3 family to the M1 family because Apple realized, and I think they even spoke to one of the influencers at the event, was that if someone's going to upgrade this year their MacBook Pro, it's because they came from an M1 Pro or M1 Max or even an Intel Mac. And that's why they kept making those comparisons. And while it does feel like I just bought a laptop 10 months ago and there's already new chips, I've been given the shaft. I think because these M chips are so powerful, so efficient, and honestly will last even longer than the Intel chips. And I mean, Max on Intel chips, I mean, lasted for years and years. I mean, I remember I w- people would literally ask me just to swap a spinning hard drive disc with an SSD in their old iMac or their old Mac mini. You used to be the only slow part. And once you did that, it had another like three, four years of life. And people would keep those Macs around for 10 years plus. That might be a little too long and it wouldn't, and it wasn't a great experience after that. But these M chips, I bet you will be able to have a Mac mini or an iMac with an M1 10 years easy. And it is not going to feel like you're using a sluggish piece of equipment. And, and Mac OS could honestly support M1 until 2030. That's the big question is when will M chips stop being supported? We are now on the cusp yeah, w- of- When do we drop off the end? Right. And I was actually mistaken. A listener reached out. I was saying my 2018 Mac mini, which is on an Intel chip, couldn't get Mac OS Sonoma. I don't know what I did where I thought it couldn't, but not true. My 2018 Mac mini on Intel got Sonoma. And so maybe it has another year of, of software updates left. Yeah, I think Sonoma might be it for Intel. Right. Um, and that's and that's honestly fine. Uh, it's several years into the transition. These are much better computers. And you can get in at the bottom for relatively inexpensive. And Apple does security updates. So even if Intel drops off, like it's not like the, it's end of life support. It's just end of feature support. Right. I think we're at the time where Apple can easily transition without burning a lot of people. I, I'm sure people will be angry, but they're always angry. <laughs> And let me say one other thing about just the upgrade cycle. Like again, yes, the the faster pace of process releases might cause some consternation, but like I have a Mac Studio sitting on my desk. It's an M1 Max. I didn't even get the M1 Ultra at the time. And like these new chips, I mean, they're so attractive. They're so fast. But when I really think about my own workflows, I literally never experience any point in my day editing in Final Cut recording podcasts. Like I have so much headroom in this Mac studio. Mm-hmm. I really have zero reason to upgrade. And honestly, yeah, like even when the M3 Ultra comes out, I'll be tempted as I am all the time. But even then will probably not be the ideal time to upgrade. If I am patient, I should wait till probably the M4 Ultra upgrade then and then i'll be good for another seven years or so at least well it's funny actually i was thinking about this yesterday the m3 series positioned so that someone like me like with my 14 inch macbook pro could easily upgrade from my m1 pro chipset to a base m3 have the same performance but also all of the new right tricks you know the the mesh shading and so like i could upgrade to a cheaper machine get the same performance and you know benefit from all of the new architecture stuff so just one of those weird like latitudes like sure i'll be getting an m3 mac mini probably but that's not actually a downgrade for my macbook pro 
uh, chipset wise. Right. So it's interesting <laughs> to think about these things and patterns. And uh, uh, Apple is on this sprint releasing new chips, new things. It, there was no reason to release M3, uh, the fa- the new family on. They're def- they're already so far ahead. Qualcomm is. Uh, at full sprint and not able to catch up until July of next year with M2 Max. Not even M2 Ultra, but their new chipset will let them catch up with M2 Max in July of next year. Do we need it? Like, do we need there to be hundreds and hundreds of Macs out there? And is Apple actually running in, uh, going to run into this thing where they're going to have market saturation, where you can just go to, to, to the store are we going to see that with the Mac where there's going to be an Apple section that's just bloated with dozens of M series chips that are uh, six years old? Like what's happening? Honestly, you know, the aftermarket economy for Macs has always been one of the best when it came to tech products. You know, buying a five-year-old Windows PC was never something that anyone wanted to do. But buying a five-year-old MacBook Pro was always a good proposition because you knew it was still going to be fast. You were still going to be able to do a lot of stuff with it. And they held their value. You know, that's always been one of the positives about Apple devices is you could still resell it for high value because they're still worth that much. And honestly, while Apple, I think, is actually streamlining their product line, as we're going to talk about in a second with the 13-inch MacBook Pro, I think that aftermarket economy for Macs is going to grow even more because you're going to have... M1 MacBook Pros and M1 MacBook Airs and Mac Studios on the market for a very long time. And honestly, those devices will be even more accessible as the prices drop. Right. And people will still be able to experience way better performance than having bought a five-year-old Intel Mac maybe years ago. Now buying a five-year-old M1 Mac is going to just be a world of difference. And so it is maybe confusing for people looking for it, but honestly, if they just see M anything on a Mac that they're buying used, they're probably safe. I wonder if Apple's going to accidentally back into competing with Microsoft in a way that they did. They, that maybe they planned it because they're, they're, they're pretty smart about these kinds of things, but maybe we didn't anticipate it. But just like with iPhone, how we have price points from iPhone SE up to the, the latest iPhone, but the gray market, the reseller's market for pre- previous generations like the iPhone 14 and iPhone 13 that'll still be updated for like another five years are still out there. As these things age, they're not going to age out, right? but they're going <laughs> to lower in price. And now we're going to see people able to buy an M1 MacBook Air for like five hundred dollars, yeah, it's amazing, and still get macOS Sonoma, get all the latest apps, run everything as if it was brand new, yeah. be just fine with it. And and why would you choose even today's Windows PC over that? Is my question. Like again, I don't I don't think it was an accident, but at least from our perspective, it seems like it was. They've backed their way into kind of really developing their market share in a way we just weren't expecting. And so I I am glad that they are also simplifying their lineup and. With the obsolescence of the 13-inch MacBook Pro, we do say goodbye to the touch bar. It is no longer, we no longer have a touch bar model MacBook Pro at all. And now I actually find that their MacBook Pro ordering page is so much better. So, you know, when the M1 first launched, I know many of us thought, are we ever going to have a day where like you choose the chip? You know, for many years, it was like, do you get an Intel i5, i7, or even i9? How many gigahertz was the process? How many gigahertz? And, and you do have a little bit more of the configuration, but I think overall the buying process is much easier. If you go to the configuration page right now on the Apple Store, you have two options, 14-inch or 16-inch. Cleans it way up rather than have that 13-inch hanging on there at the end. 14 or 16-inch, you choose your screen size, and then you can filter by chip. And I think this is the first time I've seen this kind of qualifier on the Apple Store order page where you can say, just show me the M3 
just show me the M3 Pro and just show me the M3 Max. And then you can go on to even configure it farther. And I think this is a great way to display this. A couple interesting tidbits, the M3 MacBook Pro, uh, which starts at eight gigabytes of unified memory, 512 SSD, better than starting at 256, but uh, it only has two Thunderbolt ports, uh, which is curious. So if you wanna get three Thunderbolt ports, you do have to go to the M3 Pro models and higher. But you do get two Thunderbolt ports, plus you have the MagSafe for charging, and you still get the HDMI port, the SD card slot, headphone jack, all of that. And that's the 1600 base model M3. Also, the Space Black, you can't get on the M3. You have to upgrade to the M3 Pro for that. Yeah, they have to cook those in the oven a little longer. <laughs> exactly. Then the M3 Pro models actually start at 18 gigabytes of unified memory, which is interesting. It's not that uh, 16 gigabyte that was for previous models. So it starts at 18 unified memory. You can go with an 11 core CPU and 14 core GPU or upgrade it to a 12 core CPU and 18 core GPU. Then of course the M3 Max starts at a terabyte, starts at 36 gigabytes of unified memory, and then it has the one option for the 14 core CPU and 30 core GPU. Uh, you can upgrade it, I'm sorry, to the 16-core CPU and 40-core GPU. There actually is an M3 Max upgrade option. You can upgrade to that 128 gigabytes of unified memory, the maximum you can get. 8 terabytes of SSD storage is the maximum. And then you're looking at a cool $6,900, so over $7,000 after tax for a maxed-out M3 Max MacBook Pro. But think about how many people are out there with that $58,000 Mac Pro. <laughs> Oh, and they're so looking true. at this machine and just, <laughs> oh, dear God, <laughs> it is true. It is true. Now, it is interesting. They they do have like, who is this chip for? And like on the M3 Max order page, it says that with its additional GPU power, the M3 Max is designed for graphics intensive workflows like 8K video post-production or working with complex 3D content. And it goes to talk about more of the specifics. And so I do think, like, to your point, people having to choose which chip to get, what model to get. Apple is trying to guide them. And like just like they did during the event, as they said, you know, for students and musicians, the M3, for video editors, the M3 Pro and all that. And looking at the M3 Pro model, it also says, talks about it can run multiple apps at the same time. You can do CPU intensive tasks like photo editing and compiling code and then graphic design and multicam editing. And I'll be honest, this is me. I fall into the M3 Pro category. Well, this is Apple's good, better, best strategy. Yes. And yes. Um, best being, hey, this is for the people who need the best, know it. And there's just no questions asked. We don't even need to talk to you. You're going to come in and buy it. You're going to leave. And then the good is the, hey, I have uh, literally exactly enough money to buy this. And this is what I'm going to buy because budget concerns or I'm not a programmer. Or I just you know want to check my Facebook on a nice computer. That's the good option. The better option is the everyone option kind of it's the hey i just i want a computer that does everything i need it to do that's not going to age too quickly i think apple expects m3 pro to be their biggest seller uh, not the most right because obviously just financially speaking the m3 is going to sell more it's cheaper sure um but like i think this is going to be their biggest seller um in the middle of the lineup like especially considering m3 pro versus m3 max but like the 14 inch macbook pro with m3 pro is going to be a high contender for volume uh, sales just because um, Apple's pricing ladder structure makes it make a lot of sense. If you get the M3 MacBook Pro and you upgrade the internal storage and RAM, you're already 
priced ab- above the baseline M3 Pro. Right. So I, I think most people are just going to jump straight to that M3 Pro, $2,000, and get that MacBook. And I think that's going to be a very popular model. It'll be, For sure. Again, I don't, I don't know what I would buy. I think I would have to go M3 Pro as well, if only because um, I'm not going to do with just the, the limited port selection and yes. single monitor output and stuff like that. Because, again, M3, even though it's on a 14-inch MacBook Pro, still limited to the one monitor output, uh, which is interesting. For sure. And last couple things about the event, and then we move on to 17.2 in the journal app. USB-C peripherals. We did not get them. <laughs> we still have a... The iMac is so identical that they spent about a minute and a half on it. They, I, I don't even know if they changed the ad copy. They just showed the, the iMacs flowing in and flowing out like they did in that yep. uh, the original announcement. And just like, here you go. <laughs> the M3 is inside of this Mac now. We didn't even change the cooling flow. We didn't even change uh, the port selection. Yeah. Like identical configuration options, colors, everything. <laughs> in the When you go to the Apple website, if you just click Mac up the top uh, navigation bar. You know, they have the little word new underneath products that have been recently updated. I feel like putting new under the iMac, like I know it has the M3 chip. They slapped a sticker on the front that just says now with M3 yeah, and that's all like they the did. the Intel just- <laughs> stickers they used to be on the inside of laptops. But I, I mean... This would have been the event, and so I really don't understand. So Apple actually held a viewing party with some influencers and tech journalists in New York City during the Scary Fast Apple event. I think there was some- The secret New York lab that everyone knows about, but no one's supposed to exactly. know about. Andrew Edwards, a YouTube creator, tech, he actually did a a, like a reel, a video, uh, just kind of being funny, but he, he actually did it throughout walking the entire kind of two-story apartment or what, loft or whatever this thing is. And so in his video, you can actually see everything that was there. Yeah, people live there. It's like an actual building. <laughs> right, it's an actual building, but this is where Apple holds its New York events. Yeah. And at that event, one of these tech people asked an Apple employee, like, what's the deal with Lightning? And I guess the Apple person really struggled to uh, talk about and <laughs> had to fumble with their words. But the deal is like, I understand there's two other Macs, namely the Mac Mini and the Mac Studio, which, and Mac Pro, excuse me, three other desktop Macs uh, that require peripherals. And I understand like it'll probably be updated at another future event, I guess, whenever those max get the m3 chips but really this would have been an ideal time to just just put a usb-c port in there you can let's let's be real does it does it really matter we're talking about components that sit on a desk that you hardwire into your mac like it it doesn't matter i would argue yes (laughs) i would argue yes because here's the thing i'm here at my desk i have my mac studio i have my ipad pro with usb-c i have my iphone now with usb-c and I had to charge my iPad the other day. And so I, I don't have a USB. So you're going to unplug your keyboard and charge your Here's iPad the thing, with that I don't cable? have a USB-C cable laying around right now. I like to keep my desk pretty tidy. So I plugged in a little power brick over here, put a USB-C cable, was plugging my iPad Pro. And then for some reason, I might've been doing a video, my iPhone battery was low. And I was like, oh, I should probably charge my iPhone. I w- didn't have very much longer at my desk. We were leaving to do something. And I, I have a MagSafe charger on the little anchor ball thing. And I could have threw it on there, but it was not going to get a lot of charge quickly. I was like, oh, I should fast charge it with USB-C. And I could literally, it it does not hit me very often, but it hit me I'm like, wait a minute. I could just take the cable from my iPad Pro and stick it in my iPhone. And it fast charged. And I was able to get through the rest of the day and didn't have to worry about charging. And it would be so nice if then I could also take the same cable and put it in my mouse or my keyboard. Yes, you only charge it once every couple months. Maybe it's not a huge deal. I just leave mine plugged in. I know I know people like doing the super aesthetic photo, find a cable nonsense. I do a very heavy cable organization but I'm also not afraid of seeing a cable, right? So like I have a cable permanently attached to my keyboard and trackpad, even though both of them are Bluetooth capable. I just like the 
knowledge that they're like hardware in and What's nice about hardware cables is that I can switch between like my Mac and my iPad as my primary computer with just a single cable. I don't have to pair Bluetooth. I don't have to switch devices or whatever. I just literally swap out the single Thunderbolt cable going to a dock that has everything permanently connected to it. Move on. I don't have to know what the connector is on my Mac my trackpad or whatever it's just yeah connected permanently uh you can't do that with the magic mouse that's the <laughs> no well but that that thing is kind of an atrocity yeah they should redesign that the apple could make a really good mouse but they now that johnny ive's gone they can get out of the it needs to be beautiful phase it can look nice it just doesn't need to be beautiful it doesn't need to be a museum uh, object one last thing about the event because I, I didn't want to bypass it without mentioning it um johnny suruji did use the word ai yes. one time so apple's counter over the last what five years of everyone's saying ai uh they're at one they've said they've said it at once. one time they said it once at an event and he basically just referencing hey this new neural engine is so fast that uh if you jump from intel to the m3 chipset it's it's 11 times faster at neural processing or like basically almost it's basically an infinity sign because intel didn't really have uh neural processing on their chips at the time it's just interesting to hear like oh yeah your ai processes will go much faster uh but like he breezed by it so quickly blinking you'll miss it yes i think the word was banned before but now they've must have put it in their lexicon of allowed terms yes <laughs> yes yeah, so it was it was good to hear that, and I'm curious. Maybe at the next WWDC, we hear it more than just once. Maybe in relation to Siri, we'll see. But one other part of the event I do want to get to before we move on is the fact that it was shot on iPhone, and I won't spend too much time on this. Right. But at the very end of the event, I actually clicked away before it showed up on screen because I was recording the recap podcast. But a black screen showed up, and all it said was filmed on iPhone, edited on Mac. Everything was captured with an iPhone 15 Pro Max. All the visuals were captured with that model iPhone. No other cameras were used. And for some reason, The Verge had an article. A lot of people on social media were saying, like, this is crazy for Apple to say because obviously it takes hundreds of thousands of dollars of other gear in order for it to make it look like that. To say it's shot on iPhone is somehow disingenuous and makes people think that they can accomplish that with the phone in their pocket. I, I, did, a, I did a reply video and, and I just I replied to a number of people on social media too, but the point is Apple replaced whatever professional cameras they were using for past events with an iPhone 15 Pro Max and no one suspected anything for the entire event until Apple actually showed the screen at the end. And all I think Apple is doing, and the only marketing there is, is that the iPhone is capable of this quality and level of filmmaking. Not that it doesn't require other things, but that it is capable of it. And if you look at any movie set, whether it's a Christopher Nolan film or a Marvel film, obviously, yes, there is lighting and cranes and dollies and lots of other equipment that goes into the cameras. And these are hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of cameras like these cameras cost that much a lot of times that's the body only plus a lens and so it's not being disingenuous to say this was just shot on iphone it is showing the potential of the iphone and what it is capable of and i know a lot of creators william gallagher fernando silva uh andrew claire all these guys actually make youtube content with an iphone and i think that speaks to the level of quality you get many of them using like several year old iphones because they're having to show the 15 on screen and so I feel like this outrage was just 
kind of unwarranted. I don't know why it even became a thing. It's one of those situations that should have just been a, huh, that's cool. And then you just move on from it. Like, this is really interesting. Like from a filmmaking standpoint, I can understand why they would want to promote their hardware this way and then move on. But it turned into a giant discussion because there always has to be a controversy, especially around Apple. It's borderline, like just straight up ignorant, but it's because like, I, I love like my favorite reaction so far has to be um, Sebastian DeWitt with oh, yes. uh, the Halide team. He's been posting from his account and the Halide account, just like making fun of like these claims like took this photo today with my iphone 15 but i do need to lay out this disclaimer a giant fusion reactor helped me light this photo <laughs> yeah exactly the <laughs> right. sun like you know the sun. they filmed the event the same way they would any other time they had uh, professional lights and rigs and drones but what did change was instead of a forty thousand dollar red camera they used the iphone that we can all go to the store and buy Yes, all the other equipment remained nearly identical. They had to get specific framing devices for the iPhone, obviously. They didn't put giant zoom lenses on the iPhone. Um, every, like, it, Apple would have, like, their disclaimers were just like, it's lighting. <laughs> like, every shot of the iPhone we saw, there maybe there was a, an, a zoom lens attachment. I don't know. But even then, that doesn't matter because the video quality output that they were able to get from the lenses on the iPhone camera was pretty astounding i think the only place it might have fallen down if you go back and watch the event again knowing that it's an iphone it's kind of like knowing a spoiler for a movie you can see it coming yeah yeah if you if you go and watch the drone shot of uh them flying through apple park past the pirate flag and stuff that the the crunchiness of the the blacks and that uh were a little bit more processed a little bit more difficult if only because like it the low lighting was just really significant there and there there was the fog yeah. causing like high contrast situations but other than that like really well filmed the other the other thing is i rewatched some of the event and you can tell the depth of field was not like right. mirrorless camera or professional camera like seeing tim cook standing in front of apple park you could tell like apple park was a little too in focus for that they didn't use cinematic mode they didn't they did not use cinematic mode it actually showed that they were using the black magic camera app many times Mm -hmm. uh, which was interesting and also their behind the scenes video which apple released the two minute video showing how they did everything again not hiding anything they actually did a lot of editing i think in davinci resolve which it's like man i thought there'd be a perfect uh, final cut it was also third-party companies doing it so yeah i can't i can't wait for the next movie shot on iphone like yeah yeah unsane uh, unsane came out what now five six years yeah, a ago, while ago. It was- and that burberry fashion event was was filmed on iphone but i think we'll see i think we'll see more and i'll just say it's an amazing feat and again it was it, the first time that an apple event was filmed entirely on iphone and so it's just kind of fun it's fun to to know that and it's cool it's noticeable the difference all right so go watch the ipad pro a magic keyboard event with Craig Fegri at the beginning of COVID, right? Like, so go all the way back to that. And that was like the first not in-person event. And we were just like stunned by the quality of the video. Watch that and then watch this. Obviously he was in a brightly lit room and not in a Halloween costume. Just, you can tell, obviously this is not this $40,000 rig. The iPhone is not going to literally create that quality of video, but it's good enough that we all watched this event. I didn't see a single peep on Twitter, Mastodon, whatever. Like, not a single person said, huh, this is a little bit more crunchy than usual. This is the processing. It seems a little more over-processed. This, this doesn't seem like it was shot on this super high-end camera. Nobody noticed until Apple dropped that at the end. If there was a live audience, there would have been an applause. Like, it's, yeah, it, was, it was that impressive. Este episodio te lo trae Babel. Uh, I don't know if you caught that there, but I was speaking Spanish and I was saying this episode is brought to you by Babel. Yes, that's right. 
learning Spanish through Babbel because this season, or really whenever, you can start speaking a new language with Babbel in just a few weeks. Why Babbel? Because it works. Instead of paying hundreds of dollars for a private tutor or fooling yourself with language apps that are a little more than games, Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are designed by over 150 language experts to help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. And Babbel is designed by real people for real conversations. All of Babbel's tips and tools for learning a new language are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching. I'm actually Hispanic, Puerto Rican to be exact, and a lot of my extended relatives, they're all fluent in Spanish. My mom is fluent in Spanish, everybody. And so I'm trying to brush up on it. I learned it in school. You know, you forget that stuff. It was years ago. But with Babbel, I can learn it, refresh all that and it actually helps you with your accent. I love when you talk into the app, it actually lets you know how you're doing accent-wise to make you actually sound like you're supposed to when you're speaking this new language. And if you're going to be traveling maybe over the holidays or next summer, maybe you have a trip planned for several years in advance, learn the language. Learn the language of that country you're going to. It is so much more fun. You can order food, talk to people in their native language. It's wonderful. Studies from Yale, Michigan State University, and others continue to prove that Babbel is better. For instance, one study found that using Babbel for 15 hours is equivalent to a full semester at college. And Babbel's way cheaper. With over 10 million subscriptions sold, Babbel is real language learning for real conversations. So we have a special limited time deal for Apple Insider listeners to get you started right now. Get 55% off your Babbel subscription, but only for Apple Insider listeners at babbel.com slash Apple Insider. Get 55% off at babbel.com slash Apple Insider. That's spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash Apple Insider. Rules and restrictions may apply. Our thanks to Babbel, gracias a Babbel, for sponsoring this episode and our good friends at Masterclass. I have to tell you, a lot of times I get really busy. It's just life going on, work, hobbies, family, and all of that. And I have a musical background, and a lot of times I feel like I just don't take the time to actually listen and appreciate music like I used to. That's why I really enjoyed watching the class from Yo-Yo Ma on music and creativity. First of all, I just love the pacing. It was just relaxing to watch. But he just has so much wisdom and talking about the beauty of music. It really reignited my love for music and maybe wanted to listen again to the classical stuff I used to listen to in college. So this fall, learn from the best to become your best with Masterclass. From leadership to negotiating to creativity to cooking, you can learn it all with Masterclass. And whether you're watching Masterclass on TV or listening in audio mode in the app, the quality speaks for itself. And that's one of my favorite features. Sessions are about 10 to 15 minutes long, so they're great to watch on a lunch break. But if you're watching one on your phone, then you can just flip into audio only mode like you're listening to a podcast and hop in the car. It's like masterclass instructors are your own personal mentors. They're going to help you reach the next level. You can access all of the 180 plus masterclass instructors, like former FBI Chris Voss's negotiation class. I've talked about many times. I read his book, Never Split the Difference. And honestly, highly recommend the masterclass. He covers the highlights of the book and even more in depth. And it's so much nice just to see him talking right there in the video of masterclass. Or Esther Perel's teaching relational intelligence, really important. And you get access to all 180 plus of those classes with memberships that start at just $120 a year for unlimited access. So boost your confidence and find practical takeaways you can apply to your life and at work. And right now, for listeners of the Apple Insider Podcast, you get an additional 15% off an annual membership at masterclass.com slash Apple Insider. So get 15% off right now at masterclass.com slash Apple Insider. That's masterclass.com slash Apple Insider. The link is in the show notes. You can just click it there. Our thanks to Masterclass for sponsoring this episode. 
All right, let's talk about 17.2 and tvOS 17.2. Uh, we'll do TV first because it's quick and then the journal app in, in 17.2 for iOS. But the Apple TV UI in 17.2 is getting a pretty significant UI change. There's now a sidebar that you can slide in from the left side, whether you're on the homepage. I think you could slide in from pretty much wherever. Well, you're not sliding it in. It's kind of a top level menu. You have to, you're menu buttoning out to it. You basically. menu button out to it, but it basically gives you quick access to the store if you want to rent or buy movies, your library, Apple TV Plus, obviously, and any kind of sports that you might be following or like the MLS subscription might show up there. And then you actually have the different apps and channels down in the left-hand sidebar. And so basically it's just a faster way to navigate to the app or part of the Apple TV UI that you're looking for. And it's been pretty universally praised. I've not run the beta on an Apple TV of my own just yet. I'll do that soon, but it looks like it's a nice way to to move around. Have you done the beta? So what, what Apple's done, they didn't actually change a lot. It's really the top level navigation. Everything else is still the TV app. The video player is the same. When you're watching a show, you're not gonna, none of that really changed. But what's cool here is, yeah, the access to content. So when you're in that sidebar, you have your library, you have Apple TV Plus. Uh, no, it doesn't let you remove MLS or sports. And even if you're not paying for it, it's there forever. And I'm sure that's going to be a lawsuit about it at some point or antitrust case about it. <laughs> but you can remove the other ones. That's that's the problem. You can remove Disney, but you can't remove MLS from the sidebar. Right. Uh, you scroll down and you get to the channels and app section. And the reason why we keep distinct distinguishing between the two is because to remind you, the channels are what you subscribe to within the TV app and right. you can pay, you can Apple pay. And when you are subscribed in the TV app and press play on a show, it plays in the TV app as if it's, you know, purchase content in iTunes or whatever, or an Apple TV plus program. And then the rest are apps. Uh, so an app is what it is if you go to Disney plus in the TV app and click play on a movie, it jumps out of the TV app into Disney plus and starts playing coordinates with the up next queue and all of that. And of course there's only one real non-player in the, app integration and that's netflix but what apple's done here is they've lifted up so before the app part of this so the channels always got the same equal treatment as itunes content and tv plus content it would be added to up next if you went to those specific categories within the app uh, you would actually get a divested up next so if i went to paramount plus tvos 16 i would actually see paramount plus's up next only completely divested from the rest of the up next. And that was a nice experience, but it was the only app I could actually do that with. If I went to Disney plus or Hulu, I would just see a list of content available to watch from that uh, service. No up, up next integration within the app. Right now apps have been elevated to the channel uh, interface. So every single one Crunchyroll, Disney plus, what have you, I go to it. Anything that's in up next from that app is now got its own up next in the navigation really cool it also looks like they've um, done a good job surfacing all of this content uh, it looks like there's human editors controlling what's shown uh, on a regular basis and you also have the my tv section so if you go to the, the top level category yeah uh, where it's just everything if you go to that view um, you'll be able to it's the watch now view if you go to that view there's a my tv section which combines the apps and channel section once again into a single view and you can select a channel straight from that jump straight to that view as well so just a lot more navigation options a lot more sorting options just a better thing overall and what i'm hoping for 
is that this means that it could mean one of two things. Uh, so the, the good thing would be is, okay, now that channels and apps are equally treated on the Apple TV app, maybe the developers, maybe Disney and Hulu and any of these other companies will see this and say, wow, Apple's basically done what we needed them to do. And now we can just integrate with as a channel and upgrade from an app to a channel and let people subscribe straight from Apple TV. And that would be the dream if like I could do that more apps. Yeah. More likely, sadly, the reality is, is they're going to say, huh, Apple did all this work for us. Now there's no reason for us to become a channel. <laughs> and yeah. uh, we get equal treatment to a channel in the app, even though we're not. And honestly, sadly, I think this might be a sign that Apple might be stepping away from channels because I think mm. I think they've lost the battle. If you go look at the actual list of channels, if you're still on tvOS 17.1, go look at the list of channels. There's nothing there. It's, it's kind of sad. And it's the list of apps where everything is. And right. And I really wish we could have just a unified experience where I never jumped out to an app, but I don't. I just don't know that that's ever going to happen now. The other thing is 17.2 for iOS. The journal app has finally arrived. Wes and I talked about it pre-WWDC months ago, and so we finally have it in hand. There are a lot of integrations that are supposed to be coming to it, and I think maybe Wes has gotten some to work. I know for me, I'm actually testing it on a secondary device, and so I can't speak to kind of like what is oh, it like useless. to use. Well, daily thing, but I did specifically like play podcasts, played music, did things that are supposed to come in as suggestions for the journal app. And maybe, I think obviously it's in beta. And so there are some bugs there. Right. You do have to adjust or make sure that your settings are enabled. So if you go to the settings app on your iPhone, if you're running the beta or if you're on 17.2 when it actually comes out, journal app now has its own settings pane. And you do say, I do want suggestions for all these things. And it has things for location and obviously like listening and music and things like that. I'll go there just so I actually get it. Uh, so journaling suggestions. Suggestion privacy settings. So you have activity like workouts and exercise, media, podcasts and music, contacts, people you message and call, photos, of course, and then significant locations, places where you spend time. And this is why it really needs to be on your main device for it to be applicable to you. But even with music and podcasts, I've not been able to get it to trigger. And one thing is, and maybe you can speak if this is, or if you've actually been able to do this, I thought there was a chance, not that this was ever announced, but I thought that there was a chance that maybe you would be able to add a journal entry for a past date, which is something you can do. The app user interface is basically just a plus button and a blank screen if you don't have any entries and you can choose a date or you say like currently, this is a journal entry for right now. So you can backdate journal entries to write about significant events. And I was hoping that maybe when you chose a date in the past, it would proactively pull in some things that you either listened to or maybe a workout you did that day or a podcast you listened to that day and that it would allow you to kind of pull in multiple pieces of information for a past event. Now, it does give you suggestions for photos. So it will say like, hey, here's some photos on this date. Here are some photos from this significant event. Do you want to do that? Uh, highlights from photo memories are there. So you can, uh, you know, start from there, start with photos from a past date, but it's not like doing, at least right now in this first beta iteration, that you can choose a past date and all of a sudden all these things just come flooding in uh, that you listened to and watched and, and were like locations on that date. So that's been my experience. What has been using it for you? Have you seen some of those suggestions get pulled in? Uh, we could do a whole show on the journal app. Oh, I know, even, I know. No, even though even though it's beta one, there's so much here. It's so weird because it yes, it is literally it's an app you open and there's just a plus button. That's it. They're not like elbowing you in the corners. There's not a bunch of tooltip arrows. Maybe that'll come. Maybe they'll super load it with tips app stuff uh, once it launches. But like, there's a plus button, and then so the settings 
part of this is actually the most important and it's also convoluted because it's spread across three places there's a journal app settings journal suggestion privacy settings and journal notification settings and they're in three different parts of the settings app but there are quick launch uh, buttons within the journal settings part of the settings app. I know that was a lot. Listen to it again. <laughs> I promise it makes sense. There's actually a bug fix, bug fix in beta one that Apple lists in the developer notes. If you guys um, are running the beta and you hear this and it's not beta two, go to the settings, the suggestion settings and toggle everything off and then back on and it should trigger the data collection for suggestions. And that's how I've actually been able to get music uh, podcast suggestions and my photos app suggestions, uh, alongside the text, uh, prompts. Okay. Okay. This is going to be supercharged once this, once this launches, because any app that can tap into the suggestions API will be able to just plop things into that suggestions feature. So I definitely recommend having that pop up every time you start an entry, cause you never know what's going to be there. Fitness, health, all kinds of stuff is going to be able to show up in there. It just isn't yet. Cause again, beta and third-party apps just aren't participating yet. And as far as your question is going backwards, that's tricky. So yeah. the API had to exist to collect the data and the suggestions API seemingly did not exist until 17.2. So even the API to collect the data only just started running. So you're actually not going to be able to go back and get super specific granular data because the apps just weren't collecting it. Like you can't jump back six months and say, you listen to this song on this day. I don't think that the metadata just exists. Apple just wasn't consciously collecting that or storing it anywhere. Right. That's a bit of a bummer, but I will say this. Uh, there is some hope for backlogging day one app uh, should be able to use the suggestions API. Now, again, I don't know if they will, cause this is kind of like, you know, <laughs> destroying themselves in the process, but they could use these suggestions API to take diary entries from day one and suggest mm. them in the journal on a specific oh, day, <laughs> even though there, even though there's no technical way to backlog. Yes. You could create a dated entry for a specific day that, you know, there's an entry in day one. And technically speaking, day one could surface that journal entry as a suggestion for the journal app and vice versa everything you put in the journal app could also be used in day one day the api goes both ways day one could use the suggestions api to say hey i want apps to suggest to me what to put in day one so not only is apple's app going to be really powerful these third-party apps are going to become even more powerful so if you want to pay for day one and have multiple diaries like a dream journal and a personal and affirmations whatever like day one's going to be still be the tool for you and it's it's a really good app i think like 40 dollars a year you get quite a bit for it. I don't know. It's it's going to be one of those things how the developers handle this is going to be huge. Apple isn't backdating anything, so you're not yeah, don't worry, don't expect that. But going forward, every time you open that app, I think Apple Apple's very opinionated about this, of course they are. It seems like they want entries to be they can be as long as they they want, but they 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 tend to be relatively short. I haven't run into a text limit yet. There is a, a attachment limit. Now an attachment is music podcast, location, any suggestion. So a, so basically think of an attachment as a suggestion. So if you create one entry, you can have 13 attached suggestions of any kind in any order within that entry and then a big body of text mm -hmm. uh, with no, I don't think, and I don't think you can actually paste in links. They don't work. They just become text. I think that there's a reason for that. <laughs> 
I think Apple wants you to create distinct journal entries for each suggestion. So they want you to create a podcasting journal entry where you talk about the podcast that you listen to for that day or a music entry where you talk about the music. You can combine the two. There's nothing stopping you from having podcasts, photos, location, all in one entry. Okay. But but once you get to a certain point, it does say, no, no, no more. You, you should just create another entry. Um, hmm. And I think that's fine, especially the way I journal. I I've always been a one entry per day person, but I might try the let's just do a specific entry for each piece of metadata type person. I, I, I don't know where I land on that yet, but again, it's a really interesting app. Third party apps are going to really supercharge this. The suggestion API looks really interesting. And again, it's also hidden. Nothing works until it happens. Like <laughs> it's so it's and it's it's so weird, right? So go to the settings when you first get the app and there's nothing there almost uh, other than basic settings. Mm. And then at some point, the suggestions API would be like, oh, yeah, this person listens to music and pop in music suggestions. Then you click on it and it'll say, hey, I was able to provide this because I was able to look at your Apple Music Library. Would you like to give me permission to do that from now on? So you actually have to wait for it to do it, then give it permission. And then you go to settings and guess what? Now that suddenly there's a toggle for Apple Music. That's a little annoying. I really wish Apple would just give us this infinite list of every single thing that you can toggle on or just and toggle everything on button because the hidden nature of that makes it convoluted and it makes it to where people just will never see a suggestion for something unless it's surfaced. So it's definitely a beta, yeah. <laughs> but sure. I have high hopes for it. Definitely, I wouldn't worry too much about looking backwards. I tried a, a, a something with this. So the Photos app suggests memories. And what's interesting is it collects those memories from photos. So I got 13 photos to create a single entry on. And that's how these suggestions work, by the way. Photos memory suggestion gives you 13 photos for a single entry option. You do your entry with the photos. Now, that can be a retrospective if you're looking back. But if you go in and say change date to date of photo, now it's become a an entry for that day that memory occurred. That's going to be really cool being able to kind of have a retroactive diary looking backwards. I don't know. I want you to give me advice here, Stephen, uh, on one last thing. Okay. Do I, I only have, a, I have like, only, I only have a thousand entries in day one. I'm not one of these people who's been doing it for, you know, a decade with 40,000 entries. So it's a little easier for me. Do I go back with day one on like my iPad and journal on my iPhone and copy and paste text and grab photos from those dates and manually move <laughs> the date of the entry to that photo date one by one for each entry to populate my journal? Or do I wait for the API to go live in the hopes that day one gives me a button just to do it? Maybe I would not hope for the API. I don't think day one's going to eat. Yeah. I don't think, I don't think day one's going to do it. I would, I mean, knowing from what I know of you, Wes, I mean, you are gravitationally pulled to the first party, whatever. And so, oh, yeah, I'm dumping day one. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to use the journal app. Yeah. I think you're just going to be on that. So I would say, I don't think if you spend the time like to put in some of those older entries, you just slowly do that. And even the API comes out. I don't think you're going to regret it. I mean, you know, it's there and it's saved in your journal app. You know, it sounds like a lot guys, each entry I can move and about less than it's it's less than 30 seconds each entry yeah i i know i do the math it adds up but if i just do a few at a time over you know a few weeks 
like because my day one subscription i don't think expires until like february so i have time oh you got time you know so like i, I th- i'm thinking about just going kind of like slowly in reverse order and just adding them in and then i'll just delete the app once i'm done but um only hesitate because i wonder if i'll have a faster approach once the api launches and i don't think we have long to wait i think the i think 17.2 is a december like first week of december release we'll see yeah um so hopefully this all happens very quickly and i don't have to worry about it so much <laughs> Yeah, you could give it a month. You know, don't spend any time now. Give it a month, see what happens, and then yeah. Um, but I'm excited to actually have it on my main device, and I do not journal right now, and so I'm looking forward to actually starting to journal. And I would like to like pull in the podcast I listened to, the locations I was at. Like I'm, I'm looking forward to all of that. There's a lot of little things. So we went to a bar crawl for Halloween, and. I just added every bar we went to to the location map. And instead of creating, you know, five or six different locations, it just generated a single suggestion map suggestion tile with all the locations shown as a zoomed out map. So the further you got away from center, it would zoom, zoom out the map more, right? That was, that's just really clever. I like that. And then I would, you know, so I was able to show everywhere we went, put photos in. Once everyone's running this and, every, and, it, and as long as all your friends have iPhones running this situation and they haven't toggled it off, right. all the phones are going to do private handshakes as long as you're in the contacts database of each other, it'll pop up in journal saying you're with this person this day and you will be able to attach them as suggestions as well saying I was with this person and this is what we did together. And they'll also get suggestions in their journal showing that you were there. I don't know. It's just, it's, it's so interesting and I, I, I'm excited to see how it evolves. I'm excited too. It's going to be good. All right. We've run long. I'm going to give just two quick uh, lightning round things here. Mark Gurman did actually publish an article talking about the Apple Watch Health Roadmap. This came out right around the Scary Fast event. Uh, I think it might have been Tuesday, but basically saying that the next version of Apple Watch, the Apple Watch Series 10, should add blood pressure monitoring or a blood pressure sensor into the watch, which would be the next major health sensor to be added to that device. So really interesting. Again, Mark Gurman has been on. He was the one that said we're getting M3, M3 Pro, and M3 Max all at the scary fast event and he's been pretty accurate he's been scary accurate um he's been scary accurate that's yeah, right him so him and quo are the only ones in the industry and i've had some pushback from people about ming chi quo yes he is one of those leakers who shifts his position a lot but the supply chain also changed a lot mark german also changed his position quite dramatically the those two are honestly like that's where to look there are like six or seven web like post leakers like Weibo and X and you know, whatever those anonymous people, they're fine. We kind of keep an eye on them, but if Ming Chi Kuo or Mark Gurman says something, keep your, keep your eyes and ears open. Cause uh, they usually have something very interesting to say. Like in this report, very briefly glossed over, but he did say that Apple <laughs> briefly had a plan to have Apple watch work on Android and they abandoned it last minute, like in their Apple watch hmm. Uh, fun little tidbits like that are always interesting to me. Like what, yeah. where did Apple, their decision-making is always interesting to me, but like, could you imagine Apple watch uh, running on Android? Like actually <laughs> that, that working be wild. All right. Uh, last thing I just want to mention, I have a whole story about my internet and my two gigabit fiber service and how I'm trying to get my Wi-Fi faster than a gig, but I'll save that uh, for the next show. I'm going to be testing some Eero Wi-Fi seven max routers, even though no Apple device has Wi-Fi seven right now. Doesn't matter. Still going to try. Future proof. <laughs> Future proof. Still going to try to see uh, how fast I can get. But also the $5 Apple Music plan that was a Siri-only Apple Music plan was quietly discontinued uh, earlier this week. Apple launched that, I think, a couple of years ago where you could pay $5 a month for Apple Music and just be able to access it via the digital assistant, like can't make playlists or anything. 
iOS 15.2 just feels like wow. 100 years ago. 100 2021 years ago. is when that released. Yeah, I'm pretty sure 12 people subscribed to it, but we all kind of figured it out ahead of time. This Brazilian report, like, like someone's aunt must have had it and was like, why isn't this working? Because like, it just nobody even realized it was gone. It was there October 31st. It was gone November 1st. Apple didn't put out any PR at first. So we were kind of like, uh, what do we do here? Finally, they put out a PR. It's like, and it's literally titled, it's an Apple support page. Uh, it's, it's, it, the the header was basically what happened to Apple Music Voice? Question mark. They didn't, and then they don't answer the question. <laughs> All they say is your Apple your Apple Music Voice plan is uh, going to expire at the end of the month. If you want to continue listening to Apple Music, subscribe to a different plan. And they all have all these amazing features, and that was it. But it, it seems like it was just an experiment that just didn't really work out. Maybe the industry price is going up; they couldn't charge more for this featureless service. So I think they just finally cut it out, and it makes sense. Well, there you have it. And that was a scary fast event and everything of the M3 family. Let us know what you think. If you've been trying the journal app on the beta and have an experience, I'd love to hear about that too. You can contact Wes and myself. Our social media accounts and handles are all in the show notes there. Of course, don't forget you can support the show at patreon.com slash Apple Insider. You get an ad-free version, early access, and you still get chapters if you support on Patreon. Or you can subscribe directly in Apple Podcasts. Still get ad-free and early access, but no chapters there. I've talked to the Apple Podcast team many times. Hopefully they're working on it. And of course, don't forget to check out HomeKit Insider and Apple Insider Daily. Thanks for tuning in. We'll catch you next time.